I recently travelled a bit in Europe with a party of four. We drove a good part of the way. Now, my brother-in-law, who's one of the team, is an aficionado of old Jaguars, and this was very helpful. We didn't drive old Jaguars, we drove modern cars. But the reason is that Jaguars generally have small boots. And so you have to become an expert in packing bags into tight spaces. Of course, in Europe, the trend is to smaller cars, when in Spain we had a Hyundai i20. But while we need to be judicious in what we collected and how we packed it, it still proved to be a great little car, well suited to our needs. Now, independent motoring writer Brent Davidson has travelled widely. He knows about small Hyundais and about travelling in foreign climes. He joins us on the line now. Uh, Brent... It's certainly a case where if you're travelling anywhere, you've really got to be careful about how much junk you collect. Oh, David, David, David. Good morning, everybody, and David, you too. Let me say that the whole deal with packing cars can send me into fits of apoplexy Mm. because you just happen to find every time you go to pack for a big trip that the boot of the car was designed by someone who had no idea about the shape of your luggage or how much you were going to carry. Yeah. I had a mate I used to rally with, still is a mate, um, well, I call him a mate, whether he still likes me might be another issue. We used to rally with it, and he used to repack. He had an old Monaro he used to use as a service car. He used to repack and pack it all in, and I'd, I'd throw it all in and say, yeah, that'll do. And he said, well, no, if we repack it, we might be able to get uh, a little bit more in, and we can take some other stuff. I had to give uh, the sort of speech at his wedding, and I, I played on this fact enormously, and his wife said to me, Ada, that was a load of crap, wasn't it? They were married for about a year. She came up to me and said, you're dead right. <laughs> well, I, I tell a similar story. I, I, four of us travelled the back blocks of New South Wales in a variety bash car. We had an old 1966 Volvo. So I basically said to everybody, you will pack your clothes for each day in a plastic, a Ziploc plastic bag, and that's all you can bring, that and a small toiletries kit. You can carry a bag no bigger than this to fit in with the two spare tyres, the 20 litres of fuel in jerry cans, a fairly large toolbox. And, and this is the thing you face when you pack. You really have to look at the future. You, you, and that's the hard bit. You're not quite sure, and particularly in your case where you were in uh, Europe in you know, late autumn going into winter, and from one country to the next, it could have been anything from, well, it's a delightful day for shorts and a T-shirt and a thongs, to... Where's the parker and the ski pants? Hmm. I found it was a great time to travel. There's a lot less people around, uh, and so carrying the coat wasn't too much of an inconvenience. But as in anywhere where you travel, of course, you've not only got to fit it all in, you've got to allow room in case you purchase anything over there. You've got to carry some stuff back, and uh, I'm sure that can often be part of the dilemma as well. One of my rules, don't pack a lot of shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Shoes mean space, unless you can actually pack something inside the shoes. That's my trick. Oh, yes. Yes, that does help. But a pair of joggers and what have you fits in quite well. A pair of boots or whatever start to really take up the space. Exactly right. Now, David, we have to back up here a little bit. Now, you're talking about a party of four, four adults, and I know you're a fairly uh, tall guy, and and your wife is um, not exactly a... uh, 
a, a tiny, tiny weenie lady. So, you know, you're not taking a Barbie doll with you. And I'm uh, guessing that the two people who were with you were kind of like, you know, normal-sized adults. Mm. And so you had a Hyundai i20. Mm. Now, Hyundai i20 is, as we know, not exactly the world's largest car. Well, we, we are talking, of course, about the smallest, almost second smallest, perhaps I should say, car category on the market. And the only ones that are smaller are called micro cars. So we're not talking something that fits into a large category of car. But you've got to admit that modern cars these days use the space inside much better. Oh, exactly. I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the trend, the European trend particularly, to the micro and the light and the small car is to have this kind of um, what they call a toy boy. Uh, sorry, <laughs> a tall boy, not a toy boy. <laughs> Freudian slip, folks. You've been talking to my wife again. <laughs> there you go. This tall boy styling, which builds the car up while making it a little shorter so that the occupants sit more upright. They're still comfortable, but they tend to spread forward less by sitting taller in the car. My parents would be happy with that. I don't slouch. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, I've got to say, it wouldn't last six months as you're touring around with four people, but it proved to be very effective in what we needed. Now, of course, in Europe, as you said, the trend towards small cars... Um, it is clear it's not just a trend. I mean, it's a reality that's been there for a long time. Parking is a difficulty, narrow streets, all those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, to have a big car in Europe is almost counterproductive. Oh, absolutely. And, and I have to say that uh, watching people park in Europe is extremely entertaining. Um, I remember once in Paris watching someone park a 3.5 metre long Renault into a space that was 3.4 metres long and, and I understood exactly at that, that point in time why French car makers put cheap bumpers on their cars. But the point is, yeah, the numbers of cars are growing, the parking space is finite and so they have to fit more into the same space. So it, it, they get very creative with their designs. And, and, and also, while they're making the cars fit into the space, they have to make the space inside the car big enough for families because in, in many parts of Europe, a car the size of a Corolla, a Volkswagen, Golf, a Mazda 3, etc., is a family car. And here we tend to say, Oh, yeah, look, a family car in Australia is probably or a, a Camry or a Commodore, but we wouldn't even consider something like... Well, we probably would, but we don't think of it, a Corolla as a family car. We still categorise Corollas in Australia in the official categories as small. Absolutely. Yeah, which is crazy. Now, the thing is that I noticed there were very few exotic and big prestige cars, even when we went through Monte Carlo. There were a range of cars, the occasional Rolls and so on, but very, very little of the exotica. And, I mean, if you, would you have a Ferrari? Would you take it onto the just about any European street? You might take it on the motorway, but, gee, you'd be worried about it. There wasn't a car in Rome or what have you that didn't have scratches on just about all four corners. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as, as for Monaco, I assume you drove through Monaco in the daylight hours. Probably the wrong time for the playboys and, and playgirls to be coming out to um, lose a couple of mil at the casino. <sighs> Maybe that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> but you're right. In, in Rome, Florence, the larger Italian cities, for example, 
Yes, you're right. There, there, there are cars that are they're not pretty. The the the, uh, the battle scars are evident. Of course, they're not going to bring the new the new i20 into Australia. Hyundai has decided to concentrate on the accent. Why is that? The thing we have now is that the new i20 is not built in Korea. It's built in uh, in Eastern Europe, and so the cost of actually getting it here. Uh, or manufacturing cost and transport cost landed it would would probably be rating around about the same price as uh, an entry to mid-level i30 the bigger bigger version and so what uh, Hyundai in Australia has done they've taken the the accent uh, hatchback for five-door hatchback and they've split it into two so you get uh, a 1.4 litre four-cylinder engine at around about the same price as you could have bought the older i24 and now they have a, a bigger 1.6 a quasi hot hatch as the upper level version so you have have one one car coming in around about the 16990 and the other one around about the 21990 it's it's a nice differentiation but it kind of works although the accent is a little bigger than the old i20 Hyundai was squeezing in quite a few cars the i20, the Accent, and then the i30 into that fairly narrow area. It's almost a little hard to, unless you get your tape measure out, to measure to, to or to assess the difference between the two. I mean, you can feel it when you sit in it a bit, but you're not talking about a very wide range of size, really, are you? Exactly right, and, and that's just the hatchbacks. They also have a similarly confusing line of small sedans, starting with... Uh, the accent sedan, yeah, lantras and Elantra, various things like that. It's it, it's a little confusing, but um, yeah, all you could you could do is go into a Hyundai dealership and uh, to, to quote a line from Little Britain, say, "I want that one." <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is they're a bit confused by their names, I twenty, I thirty, but then there's a, an accent in between. What's that? An I twenty five or something? Well. Yeah, it does get confusing, and, and and from memory, as I was told by a, a Hyundai person once, um, the I designation effectively covers the world cars, and when it has a name like Accent or Tucson or Santa Fe or whatever, it covers specific market cars. I, I don't pretend to really understand it, but hey, if that's how they want to do it, they're their cars, they can name them what they want. Yes, I suppose so, but uh, if it leads to confusion with the customer, then perhaps it's not the most productive policy that they might have. Well, that's that's true. The I-20, uh, that was built in Eastern Europe, the new one? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not quite sure where, but, um, yeah, no longer in, uh, in, in uh, Korea, South Korea. Turkey, I can't remember. But the interesting thing is, of course, that they then set up supply chains trucking the companies out of the fa- the cars out of the factory uh, through Germany. And, of course, once you do that, you then go into the European ports and it becomes a long way to bring them to Australia, which merely adds to the cost. Just an interesting reflection on world trade, I think. Who has a free trade agreement with whom, too, I would suggest, <laughs> plays a little part in it. Driving a small Hyundai, there's nothing wrong with that, I must say. And uh, we survived. Uh, we had to plan a little bit more, being a, the smaller car. If we had have had a people mover, we would have just expanded our luggage to fit into it. So it's an element of uh, bringing on self-control, I think. You know what I think is the greatest thing about you guys, four of you driving around Europe in that Hyundai i20? It is that you are still speaking to each other. 
the sense of community that you get within a car can be both good and bad. Sense <laughs> of community, I love it. <laughs> you do have a way with words, David. <laughs> It can lead to a certain amount of animosity. The key thing is to never assume the word you say is interpreted uh, properly. We came to a number of toll gates through France and, uh, and, and Italy were by the card system. When you entered the tollway, you got a card. When you got off at the particular point you were leaving, you put the card in and it charged you accordingly. But, of course, yep. you paid for it by a credit card. So if you ca- we come rushing up to these uh, toll gates, of course, you always start panicking. Where's the card? I can't find it, but it's there. No, the ca- well, which card do you mean? Do you mean yeah. the credit card or do you mean the other? So I, we found that perhaps the lesson for world diplomacy is to understand the same things you have to do when you're driving four people in a car to actually say, what do you mean? <laughs> I want a copy of your book on world diplomacy when you publish it, David. <laughs> the world diplomacy as uh, determined by travelling in an I-20. <laughs> Perfect. Brent, that is always lovely to talk to you and uh, um, cover a wide range of topics. I appreciate that greatly. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. Brent Davidson, the independent motoring reporter. We were talking about the Hyundai i20 and travelling with a group of people.